0: Welcome to a new episode in the Talk for Peace podcast series, the podcast series in which we discuss a variety and diversity of creative tools through which to facilitate dialogue in peace-building contexts. My name is Heidi Riley, and I'm a research fellow in the School of Politics and International Relations in University College Dublin.
1: And my name is Maria Adriana Jana. I
0: am a senior lecturer in the School of Harp
1: at Queen's University Belfast. Together, we are co principal investigators for the Talk for Peace research project. The project explores the concept and practice of transformative mediation as a mechanism for inclusive dialogue
0: in peace building. The project and podcast series is funded by the Higher Education Authority through the North South Shared Island Initiative. To find out more, browse the website at www.talkforpeace.com and please follow us at talk 4 Peace. For this episode, we are very much looking forward to a conversation with Belfast-based artist Gail Ritchie. Originally from Newtonards in County Down, Gail has been an established artist since 2003, exhibiting extensively both on the island of Ireland and internationally. In 2004, she co-founded Green Dog Arts with Imo Pico and organised exhibitions of Northern Irish art in Mexico, Valencia, New York and Tokyo. In 2009, she became an artist-in-residence at the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris and during 2014 and 15, she worked between Belfast and Munich as a part of an extended visual arts research project into memory and how both states and individuals remember the past. Since then, she returned to study, undertaking a practice-based PhD in International Relations in Queen's University, Belfast, which she completed in 2022. As part of her PhD project, she exhibited the visual research, the Immaterial Monument at Norton Gallery. And it's here really where we'd like to start. So Gail, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And maybe you could start by providing some insights into the exhibition, the Immaterial Monument, and really provide some thoughts on the process
2: behind it. Okay, well, thanks for having me both. Uh, It was the first thing to say, it was a very large exhibition. It was a solo exhibition of 28 pieces which included both small and large scale works in drawing, sculpture and mixed media. Some of the pieces were very highly finished and resolved and others remained, maybe at the model stage, almost deliberately unfinished. And then there was also a film which tried to capture some of the process and some of the more experimental work that maybe wasn't in the gallery. In terms of the themes I suppose overall I I guess the overarching theme was how the Troubles might be commemorated and it's very important might, I wasn't saying should, so how they might be commemorated by me as a visual artist. The main themes I wanted to explore were time, memory, mourning and the visible expressions of commemoration which were used to such as monuments and memorials and I wanted to work through all of these themes, but really with an emphasis on the materiality and the materials I was using. And it's also important to say I, I wanted to put my work into conversation with other um, much more esteemed artists, I would say, such as Christian Boltansky and Rachel Whiteread, but also lesser known historical figures, some quite obscure, etienne Louise Boulet, who was an 18th century architect. And he made vast monumental plans for sculptures, really, because they never got made. They were just too big, they were vast, they were the size of pyramids, but very interesting from a research perspective. And also um, in the 20th century, the Japanese American architect Izumu Noguchi, and certainly his sculpture to be seen from Mars is something that would have been very influential. in in terms of hugely ambitious but never existing beyond the model stage so that kind of gave me the, the freedom to think really ambitiously with my ideas without maybe having to take them beyond the small scale piece so tied into those those themes really of time memory and mourning, i was also using ambiguity a lot and invisibility inclusivity and experimenting and one of the key challenges in this type of work when you're thinking about the troubles and, and the number of people who died and the troubles is how do you mark those individual deaths without homogenizing them so that was a very conscious thought you know how, how would you count the dead as somebody said one by one by one and count again so maybe the way i was doing that was counting in threes which is a non-binary way of counting and that would have been expressed through some of the drawings but also as well how to locate the troubles and and how to put them really into a wider global domain and thinking about troubles as we're used to with a capital T, the the troubles as well as the wider trouble that we're in politically, socially, economically and even personally. So there was a lot going on that are represented in all these different works. It was a long project, nearly a four-year project. In the middle of which we were were all experiencing a different form of troubles when COVID hit. And time was made very strange and very troubled. And then also at that point in time, you had George Floyd's murder in the States. And as a reaction to that, monuments and memorials, which were my very core subjects that I'm trying to make, start to be pulled down. So there's a lot of different layers and, and external events that acted on the work. It was a, a big show with a lot of different expressions of materiality and scale.
1: As someone that attended the the exhibition, I can say that it was very immersive and it was good to see all the different layers that he materialized in the, in the various pieces that you made. And it was an interesting journey that made us reflect a lot. Can I maybe just pick up on something that you said, because obviously you you've been you are from Northern Ireland, and you said that, that you know there are multiple layers in your work, uh, multiple troubles <laughs> that we are all experiencing. And so I just wonder if you can tell us a bit about how your lived experience informed your art, but also how does your art somehow move beyond the the traditional narratives and the categories that we tend to associate to conflict and peace in Northern Ireland, but also globally. We are very much interested, as feminist scholars, in undoing this binary thinking. And I think that your work and and, and some of your reflections really speak to that.
2: I'll answer that in two parts. As an artist, I've always made work about conflict. First World War, Second World War, the Cold War, and even a kind of unseen war or have ignored war, the war of attrition on the roads, as I say it, the war that, you know, the collateral damage to wildlife, that our necessity for cars and speed does to the environment. So for me, it was a very wide exploration of, of conflict in all its different senses. But I had never made work about the troubles, which was the conflict that I had been born into and, and I fortunately li- lived through. So more recent times, I. I guess I started to question that within myself. Why are you looking at conflict through this historical lens or through somebody else's experiences kind of at at a remove? And there wasn't an immediate answer, but maybe on one hand I thought, well, I've nothing to say, or maybe on the other hand, I've too much to say and I didn't know how to say it. But there are certainly here, as people would be aware, some some very dominant voices, both in politics and about the you know, who owns the memories of the troubles. So within that milieu, it's difficult to think that you have a voice, a valid voice, and that you have experiences and you have memories as well, even though they might not be those that shout the loudest. Putting that in the context of family history, probably going back through paternal lines, encompasses First World War, a story that would be widely known in, in Northern Ireland as, as both sides of the of the divide claim. 1916 is a very important year, and also colonial occupations and experiences in in India and Egypt, which are quite difficult to engage with, World War II, and also the the Troubles. So that, I guess, is how my my art is informed by, in one sense, a lived experience of the conflict. But to the next part, I, I was very conscious that I wanted to draw directly on my own memories and experiences I deliberately didn't develop this work in consultation with any individual victims or victims groups, partially because I feel I'm not qualified to do that and I didn't want to trigger anybody or or re-traumatize anybody by the areas of research that I felt I needed to go into. But I also felt I had enough personal experience, both of the troubles and of loss, especially maybe sudden or unexplained loss, that I could draw on without being explicit about it. And I was very clear from the start that I wanted to make work that didn't cleave to any of the established binaries of us and them or victim perpetrator or north south or or loyalist republican everything here's always denoted by this forward slash of two polar opposites of things and I, and I've and I've never ever subscribed to that so it was a project that really wanted to operate in the gaps between two things a kind of expanded field of everything always being in this this gap and not cleaving to, to other sides and always trying to include the other without defining what the other might be and always tending towards the ambiguous rather than any sort of certainty because for me the troubles aren't over they're certainly not conclusively over and where they might have a a start date even though that might be contested because you can take it back you know even 1916 and further so where does it start where does it end and normally things are commemorated when there's a defined end point Like the first world war or the second world war, you know, treaties are signed, you know, the war is over, the soldiers come home, all of that, but but, but the troubles are still ongoing. That's why time was such a big theme in, in, in the work. When is it time to commemorate something if that time hasn't passed? So the art was informed by both tangible and intangible things, you can't really say, but it was my response, I suppose, for the first time of how I'm going to think about the troubles through this lens of time and memory and mourning. Thank
0: you so much. And I think this emphasis on time is particularly thought provoking in the way that you problematize through art. The use of the term post-conflict, which doesn't sit well in a situation where for so many people insecurity continues to persist. This is a theme that very much resonates with Maria and I's research in which we align with other critical peace and conflict scholarship that challenges binary ideas of conflict and post-conflict being a completely different stage rather than part of a process in which violence often continues but in other forms. So following on from this, your exhibition was shown at the Norton Gallery in 2022, and then again at the QSS Gallery Belfast in April 2023, around the time of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. So taking account of these themes of problematizing time and memory in your work, can you tell us a bit about the responses you got to the exhibition and how it may have ignited conversations around these important issues?
2: Well, the responses to... The exhibitions were generally positive. I would say certainly some people were very moved by certain pieces, especially those who had maybe experienced a recent loss themselves. And that I think is a benefit of the ambiguity because without mentioning any any specific names, dates, or places, you leave it open for people to bring a, you know themselves to the piece. So most people, I mean, with any exhibition, people say a general well done and and you know this is great and well done you and they don't really want to deeply engage with the with, with the work, maybe in case they say the wrong thing which they wouldn't. But but, but other people were really deeply interested and and wanted more in-depth conversations about it and even asked if I would meet them on another occasion and, you know, walk them through the exhibition piece by piece, which I I was more than happy to do. It was picked up by BBC Radio 4's front row and Cathy Clugson came to the studio. It was around the time of the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. She came to the studio and we picked out a few pieces to talk about. Again, as with this, you're talking about the visual medium on radio so it's, it's quite difficult maybe to get across the ideas but again going back to time sometimes it, it's only over time that you get the full depth of responses maybe that an exhibition of this size warrants you don't get it all at once i think you know one of the most important responses is, is my own uh, was i happy with it And I think my response to that is, yes, yes, I was, Um, especially with such important work. You have to stand over it. You have to be able to talk about it like this. But you also have to feel a a sense of personal achievement. You know, did I say all the things I I wanted to say? And it, it could have been a bigger show, but that would have been an excess, really. So I think the response was what I would have hoped for.
1: Okay, Gail, thank you very much uh, for sharing your your reflections. So in this project, as we mentioned to you, we are interested in exploring the, the role of arts and creative methods as approaches that can be powerful for how we understand and practice mediation, inclusive dialogue and peace building. And there was a particularly interesting piece in your exhibition, which I think is titled Building Bridges. And uh, I know that you've talked about how the process of making that peace actually relates to your own reflections on, on the meaning of peace. So I was wondering if you can take us through your creative pro- process in making Building Bridges and yeah, tell us how he develops. Yes, your
2: Building Bridges was, there, there was a series of smaller objects sort of unfinished or semi-finished of which it was one but they were little objects that that i called thinking through making objects or epistemic objects that uh, that were often unfinished or unresolved or you know part of an ongoingness in the process and also a way of letting me reflect through the materials that i was using and, and connect this through again to metaphors and memories so in this case it was a little um, piece of burnt driftwood which formed the base for an arch or bridge made from fragments of beach rolled glass that a friend had gathered up and i'd had them in a box for years i thought time to use these and so by me describing what i think it's richard sennett called the sequence of development of an object how i made it what thoughts occurred but when i was making it by describing that as, as well as by showing the object itself you can then start to show the inner life of an object as well as its outer life. So normally when you're standing in front of a monument or or memorial, you only see the outer facade and you don't learn anything about the inner life, the monument. And for me, this was a very important component of of what I was trying to do, the the inner outer and the visible invisible. So in my sketchbook, I describe its making. I just jotted down words variously as tedious, precarious, slippery, uncooperative fragile and then i've written a few lines about where i have doubts about its structural integrity and will it even hold together and then in in the making of it you had to work two sides of the sculpture at once the left and the right from the base had to slowly stick one piece at a time and then leave it to set 24 hours and and it slowly just started to come together until the, the keystone in the middle which was the crucial bit will it hold so really then, if you share this this knowledge of its making and its, and its sort of interiority as well as the exteriority, and then you start to think about piece and, and piece processes, you can see that you can start to make a lot of comparisons. The choice of materials is very telling because why did I make it in burnt wood and glass? You know, with the, these materials I had lying about in, in the studio, but I also had access to more durable materials and even concrete. So does that say something about me and my inner pessimism about peace in Northern Ireland? Or why was I not maybe more positive and made it out of something more indestructible, like concrete? So I I, I won't answer those questions. I'm just saying that there's conversations can be had around your subconscious maybe choice of, of materials that leads you to be able to describe an object in one way. Or another on what they say about your expectations, but certainly from experience of the situation here post Good Friday Agreement and, and even currently, you know, it is frequently tedious and precarious and frustrating and held together in a very tenuous way that seems to be with just one swift movement could, could fall to pieces. So even though it was a very small object in, in the gallery, it was actually quite an important piece in, in terms of what you're able to unpack when you describe its, the thought processes behind its making. This is really fascinating, and I love
0: the analogies you make between the fragility of the material that you use and the precariousness of peace. And I suppose it makes us think about the importance of continued peace building and how art in its various forms can initiate reflection on how fragile peace is, And therefore, how much work still needs to be done within this realm. But moving forward a bit to your more recent work, your piece, which is called For Those Who Are No One's Exhalation, that has been moved now to the Troubles Beyond Gallery at the Ulster Museum. You describe this as an artistic materialisation of breathing as an act of remembering, intended to draw attention to the political atmospheres in which we live and breathe. And I understand that it now sits alongside other artworks that reflect the history of Northern Ireland from the 1960s until the present day. So maybe you could provide some insights into this piece and explain why it's important to have such a piece included in works that represent memories of the Troubles more broadly.
2: Well, I- it probably goes back to some of the things I, I, I said at the start. So normally when you think of, of monuments, you might think of um, permanency and grand materials such as marble and bronze and also the high language of commemoration, sacrifice, duty, remembrance, all, all of those things. And also their physical form, which are often quite big and phallic and, you know, dominating and didactic you know you, you will stand in front of this and feel something so again I consciously or unconsciously working against those things but in the middle of all this work as i mentioned earlier um along comes the other trouble in the form of COVID. george floyd is murdered i had a personal bereavement at that time and just bizarrely, a little boy who lived a few doors down was blowing bubbles that just constantly drifted across the garden. And we were all working from home. I was working from home and these bubbles kept drifting and you're, all these things are going on in your head, as well as a, a response to a, a personal loss. And just the idea of somehow started to coalesce about, you know, who gets to breathe and who doesn't, who is still breathing and who isn't, whose life was cut short by a violent act. And who thankfully is so innocent, they don't know anything of those violence, but they're still making a breath and encasing something and sending it out there to find its own way. Also in terms of political atmospheres, into that comes not, not just pathogens, but also the, the particles of pollution. And with a lot of my work, it's not explicit, but it's there. But again, talking about conflict is is political conflict in the sense of war, but also this environmental conflict that's always with us so these things started to, to emerge and i was thinking well what of all those who died in the troubles who are no longer breathing you know their breath has been taken away we can't give it back obviously but maybe we could remark on the fact that these are people who once lived and, and breathed so influenced by the child blowing bubbles i just started to experiment in, in the studio with with growing bubbles but into the bubble mix i had put medium acrylic paint. When I started these test pieces, I was struck by how when when the bubbles that I blew landed on paper, some of them retained a perfectly circular form. Some landed on top of each other and started to look nearly like cells dividing. And some started to look kind of cosmic and stellar. So it brought me back to, well, here's a way of, it's just blowing bubbles, but even through that repetition, they're still retaining a sense of their individuality they're all bubbles but they're all leaving their own marks. so I thought well what if I was to take a breath and blow a bubble for everyone who died in the troubles what would that look like and so that's what I did as a kind of performative piece and uh, now the paper has been cut and properly mounted to me it, it, it looks like this nearly like an altar piece it's in three pieces like a triptych but the reason three is quite an important number in a lot of the work i mentioned earlier about counting in threes and not binaries because if you count in threes then you have it's not just us and them or you and me it's always you me and this unknown other it's always making space for this inclusion so there was three pieces like this quite abstract al- altar piece but as with all the colors and the show a very somber color palette so these were greys and, and and blacks which is, you know, what we might associate with mourning and and funerals and that kind of thing. So it's there in the Troubles Gallery, but it was only the start of the work was blowing the bubbles because, well, something that we couldn't fit in the Troubles Gallery was the extension of that idea was the question, well, who am I to take a breath, you know, and remember other people? Who, Who am I to breathe for somebody else? But what if everybody who had lost somebody in the Troubles wanted to do that? To, to take a breath and blow a bubble to encapsulate that memory and then let it go and, and leave its mark. I thought, well, that would be quite a lot of bubbles blown, so we would need more than sheets of paper to hold all these marks. What well, what else could it be? And I, and, and I sort of went from bubble to a giant airship because that then could hold all those exhalations. There is a kind of historic precedent that in world war one there was an airship station outside larne and it used to go out over the irish sea towards scotland and and back looking for u boats so it's not i thought well it's not that mad but also brought me back a bit the noguchi's monument on mars which was a plant monument that that this face on mars would look back at a planet earth and see the ruination we had caused on ourselves so it was that sort of it's the concept rather than the finished thing. So. I went from bubbles to an airship to then a sense that, well, not everybody might welcome an airship floating around Northern Ireland, so we could make it invisible. So then you could sense it, but you couldn't see it. It was something maybe that you just, on on the edges of your vision, maybe just a a shadow or a shape shifted, a flicker of what's that, that out-of-timeness that took you out of yourself to think in another way. So, But because it had form, it would cast a shadow. And again, that was analogous maybe to the legacy of the Troubles. It's this there, not their thing. It's this shadow. It's this perception that comes back that takes you maybe to another place. So as with a lot of the work, they're all stages. Nothing was ever resolved or finished because, as I said earlier, this project wasn't, I've made all this work. I've thought about all these things. And here we are. This is the absolute way a memorial for the Troubles should be. I've thought about it. I've researched it. And here we are. And we all feel better now. I wasn't doing that, but the airship was one of the more conceptual, in a sense, of not even saying let's have an invisible floating airship. But if we are to have a memorial for the troubles, let's be creative. Let's think big. Let's be ambitious. Let's be inclusive. and, And let's do something that nobody ever conceived. So it was making that suggestion. Let's just not have another something on a plinth. Or this or that, you know, and uh, and then it will be contested anyway because it's not for everybody. So the idea of the floating airship was just to say, look, actually, having been through all of that with all that pain and all that loss and all that trouble, you know, that we all deserve something wonderful to kind of commemorate, at least for us, that we come through those times. But we haven't forgotten those people that didn't. So the bubbles triptych is a, a partial stage on that journey. And it's only recently been installed in, in the um, Troubles Gallery. I'm delighted it's there. I think it should be there as part of the conversation. There are other artifacts there that might not be classed within the realms of fine art. There's posters, there's ephemera, there's artifacts that have come from different places and times. And I have been up to see it. And there is a, a, a panel and I hope that it, it, it's something that people can stand in front of and just maybe reflect for that moment or just the message behind it and see that somebody has at least tried to think about how to commemorate everybody, even even if that death occurred right at the start of the troubles, you know, somebody has tried to harness all of that and, and, and bring it all together. I have to say that there is, it's, it's such a striking piece and
1: it, it kind of also brings to mind the the sort of relief of what it means to kind of let certain things go, or not to forget, but also not to be constantly overwhelmed by it. And it's a very light piece. And how, how you describe it, it just really make me realise uh, the depth, and it will be very good for us to go and check it out at the Ulster Museum.
2: Well, there, there is a little companion piece just, just below it, which is from the series I had, Elegies for the Dead. And it just says on air. I mean, I can say about that little companion piece, it's like a little headstone that just says air and it's mourning. It's kind of from the elegies for the dead. And again, that duality of conflict and an environment, and it sort of adds to that by mourning the loss of clean air. And it's just a little headstone piece. Well,
1: thank you very much, Gail. We just have a final question, which kind of brought, bring us back to the response. That, people, that you got from people of your artwork. You have mentioned that you have also organized a series of art workshops, taking your work into the communities. And for example, you mentioned that you led a number of workshops in the Shankill Women's Centres. We found that particularly interesting because also art can be quite intimidating and is usually when it's especially when it's located in a museum, not everybody goes and I think there is an interesting aspect of of bringing art in different places so can you tell us more about how the idea came about and what did you want to achieve by doing this uh project
2: well. Small correction. I I didn't organise the workshops. I was asked to do them by Irene Baudert, who has an organisation or an initiative that she calls the Museum of the Troubles and the Peace. So she had approached me, having been to my exhibition in the Naughton, and she was very keen that I would come and do a talk at Shankill Women's Centre because she was running these cross-community workshops with, with different speakers. Artists, politicians, just just different people would, would come and speak every week. So she asked me to come and talk about some of the work that I had had in the Norton Gallery. And I was very happy to do it, really, because my on my mother's side, family are from the Shankle And uh, it had been many years since I had been up there. So I I picked out a few pieces of work and I also brought one piece of work with me um, because it's a different experience to see the object in front of you. and I. I just wanted to share with the women there really how I remembered the Troubles, what my memories of them were, and how I had translated these into different artworks without saying this is the only way to to think about the Troubles. It was very clear that that this this is just how I've thought about them, and and this is what, what I've made, and you may have different memories and might choose to remember them materially in different ways. Which they did because the conversation went on to, you know, how, how memory can be evoked by the smell of cooking, um, by the mother. Times, maybe when, when fathers were away in prison, and the mother trying to keep this sense of normalcy in the home, and how that was evoked by her cooking cert- certain dishes, which the memory of that now would evoke very strong responses in the woman. So it was a very interactive, I suppose conversation rather than me just standing and and saying you know this image and this means that so we stopped and we talked and we passed work round and it ended up just being a very nice conversation and they were very kind in their comments about the work so going on from that then i know that irene had written up a report of of i think there were eight sessions and all that she had done with these women which i was one she'd written up a report and she asked me then to to kind of create some visual response to the contents of this report so when i read it i there were two ways you could have gone about it really one woman for example talked about oranges and how they used to inject them maybe with vodka or something and and, you know take them into the prison so It would have been quite easy just to have an image of an orange or an image of a burnt out street, somebody talking about in their childhood playing playing amongst the burnt out cars. But the more I thought about it and and the more I reflected back through my own work and career, which, as I said, goes back through a long sort of survey of of conflict, I realised I had within my own archive of images a lot of artwork that would respond really well to the things that the women had been saying. So I put together a little kind of slideshow. I made a PowerPoint with images with text, and text was taken from from the quotes in the women's reports, and I put them together. And I think it made a very a more heartfelt response to the report than just image of an orange, image of this. I tried to kind of use historic images of of my own up up to the present to really respond deeply to to the things that they were saying. So it's not something I do a lot, workshops and and talks like that, but mainly because I don't get asked. But um, when I do, I tend to quite enjoy them and what comes out of them. And and again, of course, when you show your work to people who haven't seen it before, they add layers of meaning to it in in their responses. And, And then, as I said to the woman there, You know, one of them was a bit hesitant about saying, well, this, I I see this in that piece. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't maybe consciously in my head when I made it. But now that you've said that, I can see that. And the next time I talk about it, I'll include your point of view.
0: Can I just ask whether this was a cross-community initiative? And if so, how did the workshop
2: itself bring together different voices or opinions? That day, it was very close to Christmas, I think. And I think there may not have been a strong cross-community element present that day. It may only have been the women that would be living around the shankle. So I couldn't, I don't want to comment on that because I suspect that most of the people there were ones that would have lived around the Shankill. But certainly the report that I read was drawn from across both groups and seemed to have quite shared experiences in terms of growing up, fathers being away, then fathers being back again. But also, you know, we got into quite a deep conversation because it was near Christmas that there's it might be a misconception that everybody had unhappy childhoods and, you know, that, that lived in the Shankill. And, you know, there was a very strong view that we didn't, probably because you were a child and maybe things were hidden from you or you were shielded a bit from things. But, you know, we we all talked about Christmases and I certainly remember Christmases up the Shankill. And yeah, you know, and there's a sense that the obviously there were deeply traumatic times and people had very different experiences but just because it's maybe from somewhere that might be seen as a socially and economically deprived area doesn't mean necessarily that people were miserable all the time you know because if you were lucky you had parents that that masked a lot of what, what was going on and times were different then as well you didn't actually need so much you certainly didn't get so much so you're yeah but we we did have a conversation about how busy the shankle used to be at Christmas and the shop windows and various shops we remembered and toys you might have got at Christmas so
1: that's very powerful and it kind of again resonates with a lot of feminist work in kind of unpacking the emotional dimension of conflict and in kind of showing that you know, without dismissing the traumatic effect of conflict, there is also an important aspect, which is how communities, you know, lived on, loved, uh, had happy moments, and, and kind of blurring, again, this binary understanding of um, how people live through conflict only through the lenses of trauma or victimhood. Um, and so I think that it, it kind of resonates as well with the lot of work that we are developing in these projects.
0: Well, Gail, thank you so much for such an interesting discussion. And we also look forward to engaging further with you as part of the Talk for Peace project. So just as a final note, we should mention that some of the pieces from the Immaterial Monument have just gone into the Crawford Gallery in Cork and will be there for the next six months. So if there are any Cork listeners, please check it out. And you can also keep up with Gail's work via her website and on Twitter, the details of which are on the show notes.